Happy Sabbath. Just checking to see if you're still alive. Okay. I figured you would be. <laughs> Bob had mentioned the fact that this morning Millie Mitleider passed away. Uh, what I'd like to have those of you who remember Millie to do is I have the address of her daughter. We'd like to, instead of having one card where everybody signs it, I'd like to have a lot of cards sent to her. Uh, they're not going to have a funeral or a memorial service. And so uh, because of that, she thought that there wouldn't be enough people that would remember her or even care to come. And so we want to shower her with, with cards to let them know that we do care and that... Um, she was just as much a part of our church as anyone else within the church. And so we need to remember the family in prayer. Let's just ask the Lord to be with us right now, shall we? We just pray, Father, that your spirit will anoint my lips. That the words that come out will come directly from heaven, not from this earth. And that these heavenly words will begin to make a change within us. A radical change. For we don't want to be the same. We want to be your disciples. That's why we're here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Do you know what Gene and I enjoy doing? We like when we can to, to go hiking. And uh, sometimes it's not far. Sometimes we wished it wasn't as far, and, uh, but we always have fun. We always see something different when we go. One of the places that we enjoyed when we first moved here, when we came up, you'll recognize this, gets a little bit, uh, takes a little while to get used to getting on the tram in Palm Springs, because not only are you going up the mountain, but that thing goes around 360 degrees. And so I don't know if you're holding on because you're going around or you're holding on because you're going up, but you're holding on. And after the first tower and you begin to scrape your stomach off of the roof of that thing, uh, and those of you that have gone there, you know what I'm talking about, uh, it's not so bad after that. And it's kind of fun. And then you get up way up to the top and you get out and you go into the building and then you go out to the left, and over to the left is what they call the observation tower. That's kind of fun to be able to go out there because it's a different perspective from way up there. How would you like to be that guy? I didn't do that. But when you're up there, everything looks different. Because when you look down, well, you look at Palm Springs and it's little tiny houses looks like ants living down there. And you look at uh, the Interstate 10 and all the little trucks and cars that are traveling on there, 
look so small and so insignificant. I mean, they, they, you know, it's still the same rush of people that are doing 80, 90 miles an hour in a 70 mile an hour speed zone. Um, but they are going and going and going, but you look at it and they don't look like they're going as fast from way up there. And, and then you can see from up there, you can see the Salton Sea. And it doesn't look so big from way up there. And then you can actually see the San Andreas Fault, the fault line that goes through there. It's fascinating. When you're down on ground, you don't see it. And it's just, just amazing what all you can see from up there. And it's again, it's a different perspective. And we notice that when you're up there, it's like you left your problems down below and you get up to the top and they don't seem so menacing. And it's so quiet up there. And, and it's peaceful. And you just look around and you see what God has created and it just kind of takes your breath away. It's that different perspective that just kind of relieves the pressure from off your shoulders. What's really nice is to see it at night and to see the city lights. And we went up there at Christmas time and you could even see the, the Christmas lights from up there and everything. Just gorgeous. Everything takes on that new perspective from way up there. You would miss out on it totally if you hadn't gone on that wild trip all the way to the top. Then after you get there, you don't want to go back down. Well, maybe because you don't want to go down and see all the things and the towers and everything, but it's just gorgeous, different perspective. Today we're going to take a look at a different perspective. We're going to, at the end, we're going to have a radical prayer, all of us, and it's going to be a little different. I like the guy when he cry, cried out, my God, help me. Sometimes that's all we can say. But this is going to be a different type of a prayer. And I'm glad that God answered his prayer. And I, and I was just telling my class, you know, his daughter had to be moved by God to go into that house the exact time that needed to run those, those crooks off. That's how God works. So that means she had to start going before he ever said the prayer. That, that always blows me away. So we're going to, to seek a radical prayer because what we want to do is we want to see things different. When God looks at this earth, he sees things differently than what you and I see. And we want to put on the eyeglasses of God. I don't know if he wears eyeglasses. But we're going to want to begin to see things differently through the eyes of God than through our eyes. We're going to go from down here on this earth up, way up past the, the mountain where the tram went up, clear up to heavenward, and we're going to look down and see things from the way God sees it. Does that make sense? Well, that was weak. Because we have to have a new radical perspective about this earth. We believe that this world is coming to an end soon, right? Okay, I'm, I'm glad you're awake now. If that's the case, we cannot see the world 
like so many of them are saying, oh, I see the, the armies are doing this, and I see the nations are doing that, and I see this and this. We're looking at it from ground zero. Ground zero looks different from heavenward. And we've got to look things through God's perspective. And so because of that, we're going to learn to be able to say a radical prayer. We're going to start on a journey. And on this journey, we're going to, to look at a challenge that Jesus himself wants us to see as his disciples. He wants us, he's going to challenge us to begin to see things his way. He wants us to pray in such a way that we are going to not only pray, but we're going to spring into action far differently than we've ever done before. And some of you saying, oh no. I don't know if I want to go that way or not. Well, let's look at what Jesus says, okay? Belva read the text so wonderfully, but we want to look at it again in Luke chapter 10 and verse 2. Then he, that's Jesus, said to them, that's his disciples, the harvest is truly what? Great, okay? But, the laborers are few. Therefore, pray. Now look, he's telling his disciples to pray. Pray the Lord of the harvest. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest, into his field. Before you totally tune me out this morning, I want to ask a simple question. What does Jesus mean in the context of this when he says that the harvest is truly great? We've got to understand that before we can say this radical prayer. We've got to, to comprehend it in, a, in our mind to get some type of a clue. So let's take a look at a parable. We're going to look at two passages. Let's look first at a parable that Jesus talked about. It's a familiar parable where the sower went out to sow his good seed, but when he came back, the, what was there? There was the good grain, and then there was what? The tares, the weeds. So let's take a look at that familiar text right now. Matthew 13, verse 39, the enemy who sowed them, that's the weed seeds, is who? The devil. Okay. The harvest is what? The end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. In this sense, Jesus is telling us that the harvest is the end of the age, the end of time. It's what we've all been waiting for. It's the time period that we're living in right now. And some of us are saying, man, I can't wait until the, the, the grain is ripe and we're going to start seeing thousands of people start entering into the church and coming in and becoming new members. And I wonder when it's going to happen. Well, let's take a look at another text. It's found in the book of Revelation. Revelation 14, verse 15. Another angel came out of the temple crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, 
Thrust in your sickle and reap. For the time has come for you to reap. For the harvest of the earth is ripe. Okay? That's again. That's what we're looking for. We're looking for that time when everything is ripe and people are going to just be coming in and coming in. We're going to run out of bulletins. We're going to have to have three or four church services every week. Just can't wait for that to happen. Remember, we're looking at it through our eyes down here on this earth. And that's what we're thinking. It's really going to happen. This is a time of the end. It's going to be a lot of people. Let's go back now to the context of Luke chapter 10. But this time, let's look at verse 1. After these things, the Lord appointed how many? Seventy others also. And sent them out two by two. Didn't send them out in four by fours, but two by twos. Before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Jesus sent out his disciples two by two. Sending out these people to go into the cities. And what are they going to do there? They're going to prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. That's what we're here to be able to do. Am I right? We're his disciples. We're to prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. Okay? So this is not at Pentecost. This is not the time period when, when the uh, power of the Holy Spirit came down upon them. This is before that time period. Jesus sent them out two by twos. To be able to go into the cities, they didn't all go in as a group. They just went in pairs and went into various towns. And those were the towns that Jesus was going to come into. So they went ahead and they're preparing everything. Now remember, sometimes those disciples said, you know, we came in and we thought that we were going to be able to heal people and raise people from the dead. And it didn't happen. I'm disappointed. And you know, sometimes we think, you know, I, I tried to do something and it didn't work out. But we're supposed to be getting all these thousands of people to come in and everything. But they went out and they were willing to go. And they went in and they began to share. You know, sometimes, sometimes we have successful meetings and people. And sometimes we go out and, and, and Paul, he's, he has every week he's got a home that he goes into. He goes into Abe and Maria's home. And they've got how many people that are sitting there usually on an average of your Bible studies? About ten. Hey, that's pretty good. But that's not a thousand or ten thousand because Abe and Maria's house isn't big enough for ten, twenty thousand. But he goes and he has something. And there's some of the others of you that are going out and you're, you're sharing and you're doing some things and, and you think, well, it's, it's no big thing. You know, I've only got one person that I'm sharing with. And then there's some of you who aren't doing anything at all, who've tried and you seem like failed. I don't even get ten. And so you fail and so you're wondering, what are we going to do? But there are some that go out and they share and, they, and it seems like they have a big success and everything is going and I wonder why I can't do it. Because we're looking at the eyes down here on this earth. 
We've got to look at things from heaven. We've got to be willing to say this radical prayer that Jesus challenges us with. And so here we are, we're looking. I remember one time we had an evangelistic meeting in a church. I was, in the, I was the associate pastor in the Wichita South Church in Wichita, Kansas. Had this big evangelistic meeting. I mean, we had a lot of people that came. The, the senior pastor who's now the conference president for Michigan, Jay Gallimore, he, he did the evangelistic series himself. He had big spotlights up. I mean, he had all kinds of things. And we had a grand time. And then we had all these people. And I remember the first time that they had uh, uh, one of these decision cards, you know, that they hand out at evangelistic meetings. And you're supposed to write down your name and address and a decision that you're going to make. And if you want baptism, you're supposed to check that box on there. And then when it comes in, then we're supposed to take these cards and then uh, Pastor Jay and myself and some others will go to the house and we'll visit with them and, and help prepare them because we want as many baptisms as possible to take place. We want people to make their decision. So I had this name, didn't look familiar. I couldn't, couldn't place the name. Of course, I hadn't been in this church for very long, so I didn't know everyone in the church. And so I looked at this name and the address and I went to visit her. And when I knocked on the door and the lady came to the door, oh, I know you. I see you each week at church. She says, oh yeah, come on in, Pastor Bob. And I come on in. And I came in and I says, I'm kind of confused. I said, uh, here's your name. And I didn't know your name at first and I'm sorry about that. But here's your name and your address. And you have checked down here that you want to be baptized. And she says, yes. And I says, oh really? I said, uh, um, how long have you been going to the Adventist church, to the Wichita church. She says, I've been going to the church for 16 years. 16 years and you've never been baptized? She says, no, I've not only never been baptized, no one in the church has ever come to visit me. No one knows my name. I just come in and sit down. I said, tell me about your story. She says, well, I first started learning about about uh, the church when I started getting from the Voice of Prophecy some Discover Bible lessons. And I started taking them and I was sending them in, you know how you do, by Bible correspondence. And I sent them in and I completed the whole thing. And they said, they sent a card and they said, would you like to have someone visit you and would you like to be baptized? And she sent it back and said, yes. No one came. So she says, well, maybe I didn't fill it out right. So she took them over again. She went through five complete sets of Bible lessons. No one ever visited her. Now I know Voice of Prophecy always sends a card of interest to the church in that area. And I know that they send it out on a regular basis. And they plead with people to come and go visit them and everything else. And I says, well, why have you never been baptized? She says, no one ever asked me. No one knows my name. Been attending church for 16 years. She says, I think it's about time that I was baptized, don't you? I said, I think it was about time you was baptized when you first came. And so sometimes, so here we had this lady and we had a lot of baptisms that day in the church. And we had all these people lined up. And I sat there and I shared. And the church member says, you know, we never knew her name. And I said, you should have. She'd been sitting with you for 16 years. Sometimes the harvest is ripe. But we can't see it because we're down here with our own little problems. I, 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 I got 
work problems. I got financial problems. I got children problems. I got problems that I don't even know that I have problems with. But they weigh me down. And they weigh us, that's the devil's tool, they weigh us down so much that when the harvest is ripe, we don't see it. We had a successful, big evangelistic series. We had probably close to 100 people that were baptized in that church that day. In the standards of the United States, that is really good. That is fantastic, and the goal is to have maybe one baptism and one thing happening. But let me tell you something. There are individuals that are sitting in their home, and they are praying, they are studying their Bibles, and they are saying, Lord, bring to me the knowledge of other people who believe what the Bible believes. And they're waiting, and they're waiting, and no one shows up. Why? Because we have not prayed the radical prayer. We are still seeing things through our eyes here on this earth, and we're not seeing things the way we see them in heaven. We're waiting for mass people to start coming in busloads, and they've got to build this uh, railroad to come into Beaumont to haul all the people that's going to come and to come into this church so we can stand up there and you can sit there and the pastor's going to get worn out baptizing thousands and thousands of people right there. I don't know how my arms are going to do it. But you know what? That may not happen right away. We're waiting for another Pentecost. We pray for another Pentecost. The disciples, ten days after Jesus ascended into heaven, they got together and they prayed. They weren't ready, but they prayed. And they were willing to do something. And when the Pentecost came, Peter went out and he preached a powerful sermon. A sermon that included these words. It says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they, that's the people, when they heard this, they were cut in their heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what should we do? They're asking questions. What do we do? And then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remissions of sins. And you know what happened? Acts 2, And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Then those who gladly received His words were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. 3,000 baptisms in one day. And we're saying, man, I can't wait until that happens to the Beaumont Church. But again, we're not seeing it through the eyes of heaven. Not long ago, in fact, it was March 24th, 2007, down in South America, they had 45,000 people that were baptized in one day because of one evangelistic series in South America. 45,000 people. And that pastor walked home looking like a prune when he was finished in that water. Of course, it wasn't just one pastor that was there. 
The harvest was truly ripe and great, you say, but it doesn't happen here. Why doesn't something like that happen in Beaumont? Why, why, why? We can hardly get a handful of people to come to our meetings. And then when we do have meetings, we've got protesters that stand outside to try to block everything. You remember that? Well, keep in mind, we're looking at it again through the eyes of us here on this earth, and we haven't got the eyes of God yet. But let me tell you something. At the same time that Pentecost was going on and Peter was baptizing three, Stephen was taken and they took him and they brought him around and Stephen began to preach just like Peter preached. And he began to share about Jesus just like Peter preached about Jesus. And then Peter had thousands of people that were baptized. But what did this group do? They stoned Stephen. They killed him. There was no baptisms. That altar call was zero. You would look through the eyes of human beings here on this earth and the conference president would say, Stephen, you're not very successful. We're probably going to have to move you if they don't kill you. We've got to move you to another district. Because you're not successful at all. That happens, doesn't it? seen a lot of good pastors being moved because there wasn't enough baptisms. Stephen was sitting there and when he made his call, the only thing that came forward was rocks. No thousand individuals joined the church. It looks like it was a flop of an evangelistic meeting. Except around the corner was a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus. And he heard Stephen preach his sermon. And he saw what took place. And that changed his life like no one else. When Stephen made an altar call, Saul didn't go forward. I don't know if they made an altar call. But I'm sure Stephen invited them to be able to turn their hearts over to the Lord and no one stepped forward. In fact, they all had the gnashing of teeth. They were all angry. And Saul hid around the corner holding these coats of all these people that were killing Stephen. And he didn't take a stand and it looked like a flop. But let me tell you, that man named Saul later on in the road to Damascus, was called by Jesus and became the Apostle Paul. And I'll tell you what, there's a lot of us who became members of the Seventh-day Adventist church because of the preaching of Paul. There's a lot of us that learned about righteousness by faith because of the preaching of Paul. There's a lot of us who've had our lives changed because of the preaching of Paul. Let me ask you a question. Do you remember any of the names of any of the people that were baptized when Peter Peter preached? No. So who was successful? It sounds like to me that Stephen had the eyes of God saw things, and even though it was not successful, it looked like the flop, 
But what was the reality was the fact that Saul, who became Paul, affected more people's lives in this world than almost Jesus has. I believe that Stephen, his preaching, was a major success. I believe that Jesus was in heaven and he looked down and he saw Stephen there and no one coming forward. And he says, boy, that grain is really ripe now. Because he knew what was going to happen. You might think that you're not successful in what you do. You might think that everything that you try is a flop. Let me tell you something. When you have the power of the Holy Spirit, there are no flops. The Holy Spirit guides and, and, and uses, and you may not see the results right away, but it will be successful. And it, not, it may not be a, a huge mass baptism. There may not even be any baptisms at all. But when the Word of God goes out, it never comes back null and void. It always comes back with success. You may not see the success. You may not even hear about it. Stephen never saw the success. He never heard about it. But he had faith in the one who was in charge. So don't look for success in numbers or in great power. When Jesus says that the grain is ripe, what he is saying is it can either be one person or it could be a thousand people. It doesn't make any, shouldn't make any difference to his disciples at all. When it is ripe, even if you baptize one, even if you don't baptize any, even if no one ever even acknowledges it, the grain is still ripe and the success will come. Because thus saith the Lord. Sure. We have DVDs going out, we've got CDs going out, we've got the church service going on the, the, on the website. We've got all kinds of things. You'd be surprised how much we get back in return if something goes wrong with the equipment and we don't get the, the Sabbath sermon on. I get calls from Canada saying, what's the matter? We're waiting for part two of your sermon. And I don't even know who they are. But that is the way the Lord works. Now, let's, let's talk a little bit about Saul. When Saul was walking on the road to Damascus and that blinding light came and called out his name and said, Saul, Saul, why dost thou persecutest me? And he says, who are you? And, and Jesus revealed to him who he was. Saul asked a question, the same question that the, the other people asked Peter. He says, Lord, what do you want me to do? There are people who want to know what to do next. What, where are you leading me? Where are we going? What, my, my church doesn't believe this, that I'm reading in the Bible. 
What do you want me to do? And the Lord says, I'm going to send someone. And do you know who he sends? His disciples. And who are his disciples? That's us. You know what? There's probably someone sitting here today who's listening to this sermon and the Holy Spirit is speaking to their hearts. And they're probably saying, and they're feeling it right now, and they're saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? What's the next step? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a stand for Jesus today. When we get to the point of singing the final hymn, I want you to get up and to come up, and I'm going to pray with you. And we're not going to let you sit here for 16 years. I want to pray that the Lord will be with you, and he's going to guide And we're going to try to help. And don't be afraid to ask for help. Maybe there's someone who's going to hear this sermon on on the website or through a CD or whatever. And, And they're going to sit there and they're going to say, but I don't live in Beaumont, California. I live in Canada. Picking on the Canadians, Greg. Sorry about that. He's Canadian. I live in Canada. And it's a little far for me to drive each Sabbath to go to the Beaumont Church. What am I going to do? And I'm telling the people, I'm telling you that are listening to this right now, go up on the website and there's a place where you can send a message to us here at the church and I will get it and I will pray. and, And if I can find a church that's close to you, we'll find a church. And hope that they don't wait 16 years before they come around to visit you. An invitation to be able to come. Well, the radical prayer. The radical prayer. That's where we come in. We've got to get out from away from the earth and to get up on a high spot and look at this world from a new, totally radical perspective. We've got to have our eyes open to us and we've got to see that the harvest truly is ripe and ready right now and Jesus wants me to do something. But you're not going to be able to do something until you get away from this earth and look down heavenward and have your eyes open. That's why we've got to say this radical prayer, because it is extremely important. Do you know when Jesus is going to come? When this gospel is preached to where? All the world. Then Jesus will come. Now that means that we may all have to be doing something. And later on we're going to take a look at this and we're going to begin to start as a group planning. Well, what can we do? What talents do we have here? We're going to ask the question that Saul asked. What do you want me to do? And the Lord's going to reveal it to us. Not only is he going to reveal it to us, but we're going to see success. Maybe not in numbers, but we're going to see success in the Lord. The numbers, they come, they come. That's, that's his business. But my business with him is that I need to see life differently 
and to be willing to come. So that brings us to the point of this radical prayer. And I've been racking my brain this whole week. How are we going to do this? I thought, well, I could write it out for you. Um, I could call someone else to come up and to have that prayer. I can say the prayer. And the Lord spoke to me and says, no, have the entire congregation say the prayer together. The same words, the same prayer, the radical prayer. Are you willing to say this prayer with me? Okay. Because I don't want to sit here and just do it on my own and be the only one that's going to have my eyes open. But we're going to say it together. Here's the prayer. Are you ready? Let's say it together. Lord of the harvest, open my eyes so that I can see the world as you do. Open my eyes so that I can see that the harvest truly is great. Amen. You just said one of the most radical prayers that could ever be spoken is you've just asked the Lord to open your eyes and to see the world as He sees it. Now, if you want to, through the week, I want you to to say a prayer similar to that. Lord, open my eyes. Let me see what you want to see. Let, let, Let Speak to me. Reveal to me. Let me see things totally different. Take me away from my problems. You know what I've found? When I'm willing to do what the Lord wants me to do, my problems seem to melt away. Have they gone? Nah, they're still there. But they don't bug me as much. I somehow get extra strength. I somehow get the right words to say. Sometimes I say things and I don't even know it, and the Lord uses those words to be able to make a change in someone's life. So we've got to see as a church, we've got to see things totally differently, radically. Because the next time we get together, we won't be looking at the radical prayer, we're going to look at the radical problem. Because Jesus says, I've got a problem, and I need your help. Boy, when Jesus says he's got a problem, it must be a big problem. So we're going to see what that problem is. Now, next week, I won't be here because we've got a Spanish church over here and they have been just begging for me to come over and to preach a sermon over there. And so next week, we've got um, the Heralds of Hope. It's a new men's group that is going to come and they're not only going to sing, but they're going to have the sermon and everything else. So you'll, you'll be in good hands here. But when we come back the next time, when we come back the next week, so that means you've got to be here. If you want to find out what the problem is, don't go on your vacation yet. But we're going to take a look at the problem because by then, if we keep praying this prayer, this radical prayer, our eyesight's going to be different and then we're going to be able not only to see the, pro- the, the ripe, ripened field, But now we're going to be able to know what the problem is so that we can do something about it. This church is not going to be the same. I'm glad there's some of them that have said that.
Because we don't want anyone, we don't have 16 years left. We've got to be able to do something totally different. So what I want you to do is I want you to take your hymnals and turn to hymn number 501. Tis the blessed hour of prayer. Now this is a different prayer. This isn't a prayer to give me riches. This isn't a prayer to do anything but to really to open my mind and let me see this world as Jesus sees it. A blessed hour of prayer, hymn number 501. And if there's anyone who has been moved by the Holy Spirit, wants to come down here and wants me to pray with you and for you, as we're singing this hymn, please come forward and let's pray together. Hymn number 501. Shall we stand as we sing? the blessed hour of prayer when our hearts slowly bend and we gather to Jesus our Savior and friend if we come to Him in faith His protection to share what a Blessed hour of prayer, blessed hour of prayer, what a balm for the weary, oh how sweet to be there, tis the blessed hour
question. Are there those of you that are here, is there any of you that are seeking baptism or preparing for baptism? If you are, let me know. Okay. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's just bow our heads right now in prayer, shall we? This is the blessed time to pray. We've already said the radical prayer, Lord, and you've already started to let our eyes to be open and our ears to be open and our whole minds to be open, that the ripeness of the harvest is now. Even with one gentleman seeking to get ready for baptism, you've got great things in store because many things are going to happen through him and through all these individuals and through this church because we are willing to be your disciples. Anoint us with the power of your Holy Spirit Right now, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. The Lord be with you and guide you and help you. He's going to give to you peace. He's going to give to you comfort. And he's going to give to you life. And then we'll have it more abundantly. Amen. You may be seated. <laughs>